I'd like to thank my sponsors, Celsius, Equus, and Round the X for making this episode possible. Stay tuned later in the episode for more info. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is a well-known artist that's splendid his passion for traditional painting and technology to push the limits of digital art. Not only are his creations masterfully designed, but they have engaged viewers in a new way that seems straight out of a futuristic film. Trevor has begun to tap into the crypto art space, specifically NFTs. His art is now the most sought after and, frankly, expensive in the space. I actually have a bit of experience in this area releasing my own NFTs uh, at a very much uh, lower level, but can't wait to learn from the master himself, Trevor Jones. Trevor, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's <laughs> quite the intro. <laughs> yeah, we, we try. So before we get into the questions, once again, you're listening to the Wolf of Wall Street's podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, Bitcoin, I said Bitcoin, Bitcoin finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. The show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. If you like the podcast, you follow me on Twitter, then you should check out my website, Think about joining my newsletter. You can do both those things at thewolfofallstreets.io. So now that we got that out of the way, let's get on to what's important. So, so Trevor, you wrote a checklist for success for artists that was really popular. And one, stit, uh, one of your tips stood out to me. It was number 60. It said, drink wine often. Do you have additional <laughs> insight into this tip? Because I'm really ready to take my art career to the next level. <laughs> I think I actually mentioned it twice. I think that was actually two tips, uh, the same one. Um, yeah, no, it was just a, a lighthearted joke in a sense. Um, possibly. I, I do drink a lot of wine. But uh, as do I. I think with, with, <laughs> with this, this checklist, it was it's more like a, I, I call it like a tips, um, artist tips for success. Because as soon as you start putting out something like this, you're immediately going to have people who are going to, try to contradict it or to say that's wrong or, or, or this. So for me, it wasn't about, I mean, I was honestly trying to create a list from my own experience um, of things that have helped me or that I've learned along the way that could potentially help others kind of getting into the space or getting into art in, in general. Um, but inevitably there's people going like, well, oh, I don't think I agree with that thing exactly. And I was like, you know, it, it's, it's, I said also, you know, just take what you want um, and, and leave the rest. Whatever helps is, is great. So, uh, and wine is one that helps me a lot. Especially helps me a lot in a lot of avenues. I found that it became uh, much more helpful when I have children, but uh, that's a topic, <laughs> topic for another day, I guess. Um, My wife showed, showed me the, uh, the little clip, was it yesterday, with the howling at the moon. I mean, it was so cute. I'm like, oh, that's so bit, Like, <laughs> one and a half year old is such a, is such a perfect, like, little... Just it's just just a perfect age for cuteness. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so I have to ask. You know, a lot of people feel that they're born an artist, or some feel that they, it's a hobby they pick up in high school and realize they're kind of good at it. As you know, I've had Michael Johnson on the on the podcast, Micah Johnson, before on the podcast, and he had never tried art until he was already a professional baseball player. Now he's also one of the biggest artists in the space. So, what was your development like as an artist? When did you realize that this is what you wanted to pursue and was your passion? Um, I knew, I mean, I was always good, you know, I mean, when I was going through school, you know, and I mean, I think most kids, they all love to draw and, and create things and there's just no pressure. And then kind of hit high school, you become a teenager and the, the insecurities come in, but you know, you, you, for me, I always, I took art in high school because it was easy, you know, not because I was thinking I was going to be an artist. 
right. um, more interested in sports and, and music and parties and, and that kind of thing. So I, I didn't, I left um, high school, I graduated and I didn't go straight to university. I was moved to Vancouver to, to become a rock star and that failed miserably. Uh, I learned a lot of lessons through that process and that actually helped me become an artist later in life. So for me, it was, I knew that there was talent there. Um, you know, I could draw what I saw. I could, you know, I had, uh, but you know, being an artist, it's, it's not just being able to draw what you see. And, and to be honest, you know, actually even nowadays, you know, there's so many different components and elements, what kind of art you're creating. Is it digital? Is it physical? Is it conceptual? So being able to draw is, is one, I think so it, it helps. Because when you have something in front of you, whether it's a, a person, you know, figure or a still life or a, a landscape, and you're literally just drawing it, you're getting to understand what that thing is, that object, that what it is from a very, very different level than just by looking at it. Um, and you're also developing your own personal language. And that's what art is. You know, it's, you have these different genres, but every person has a different approach, a different techniques, different mark making abilities and skills. Some are good with color. Some are, some people are good with um, drawing what they see more representational. So everybody has different skills and abilities. I guess it's just <laughs> the, the, the biggest, the most um, difficult part is learning how to get over the insecurities and to just to really drive forward with, with your work um, and to to just blind faith and, and hope that it keeps on working out and that you, you keep on developing. So it's practice, 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 practice. I taught for seven years at a little art school, private art school for uh, after I graduated. And it was adults I was teaching, like kind of evening classes and, and weekend workshops, uh, Saturday afternoon life class. And 99% of the people who were coming to the class, it, they weren't coming to become artists. They were you know, bankers, lawyers, doctors, nurses, who, you know, just general, who wanted to get away from the family for a, a couple hours or, you know, explore something different. Uh, so I saw, you know, really how people could improve. Some had literally no artistic skills at all, but they kept on coming back, you know, week after week, month after, you know, some would come for years and they did learn. So you can learn to become a better artist. But I think with something like singing or, you know, playing a, a, a musical instrument, you, some people are just gifted. Some people have right. a, a gift and, and they will always have the advantage because they just have something, a God-given gift. But what's interesting is there's millions of people who can sing. There's millions of people who are masters at instruments. You can go on YouTube, arguably, and find people with 100 views that probably appeal to you more than the music that's on the radio. So... How do you actually make it a career and a success as opposed to just a hobbyist who never gets noticed? That's the, that's the secret. Um, and there's no formula, you know, there really isn't, you know, I mean, unless you're talking about a formulaic boy band or something and Simon Cowell puts right. millions yeah. into it. But, and then you, you don't know. actually get paid anyways. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was, a late start in the sense that I was 32 when I decided to become an artist. So I, I learned from my experience as a, a failed 19 year old musician trying to make it big and with eighties ballads in Vancouver 
that uh, I had to approach this in a very different way than I'm really passionate about it. I'm willing to put in the time, but I had to look at it as much more of a strategic approach because I was going to be 38. You know, I, when I, I did a foundation year, I did five years at Edinburgh College, uh, studied between Edinburgh College of Art, studying drawing and painting, and at Edinburgh University, studying history of art. So I was coming out at 38 years old um, with no money, a lot of student loans, um, you know, in massively in debt, and and nothing really to 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 go with to, to, to you know except just pure drive and, and determination and, and and the ability to sacrifice. And that was it. You know, I knew I didn't have a second chance. You know, I wasn't 23 years old graduating. I didn't have, you know, my, it was this, it was this or, or nothing. And to be honest, you know, my first, even my first two solo shows, I was, it was 2010, 2008 when I graduated, 2010 was my first solo show. So by kind of all, you know, all things considered, that was a huge success to be a recent art school graduate and to have a, a solo exhibition at a mid-range Edinburgh gallery. The show was a huge success. I sold probably about 80% of the works. Um, I mean, I was over, I was scared shitless, you know, opening night, even like on the run up to the exhibition. In my head, I was thinking, I'm going to, I can't do I'm gonna this. I'm going to sell nothing, right? I'm just, yeah. I'm going to sell nothing. I'm going to show up. There's going to be three people there. Oh God, dude, I, I mean, I've played music my whole life. It's terrifying every time. <laughs> it's not even scary to go perform. It's just scary to wonder if anybody will be there to see it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you have the, all that self-doubt, self-doubt and insecurity and, and I was ready to quit. Um, and then the show happened. It was a big success. And then the reality hit me is that, you know, I sold like I said, about 80%, which was fantastic. I mean, it was a huge, huge success. Um, my prices were were at that kind of low end price range of a student, you know, a recent art graduate. Um, I think I'd sold about 25,000 pounds worth of paintings, which again, I'm like, this is brilliant, you know, fantastic. Yeah. And then, you know, you realize, okay, the gallery takes 47, 50%. So that's immediately cut down to about 13, 12 and a half thousand. And taxes. I pay for the framing, which yeah, two and a half, three thousand for framing. I'm down to 10 grand. Uh, then there's all that was a full year's work. Um, so I've got studio costs, I've got overheads, business, you know, all the materials, all that kind of thing. And so by the end of that first huge, super successful exhibition, I had about maybe seven thousand pounds profit, which I had to pay taxes on. Not very much because it was so low. Right. So I realized at that point that okay, I'm going to have to look at this in a very different way to to separate myself from all those other super talented artists out there. And I, you know, Scotland's a, a small country and you go through the system and, you know, it's like I said, I was working at an art college at, or at a little art school. I was running an arts charity. So I knew so many artists who were ridiculously talented and were still struggling. And I'm thinking like, how can I make a living doing this? And that's kind of where my checklist or my tips for success came about. And it's just, and it's, it's, like I said, there's no formula. It's just hard work and, and, and motivation and, and obsession almost sacrifice to the point where it cut into all other aspects of my life. I couldn't, I didn't have relationships, you know, <laughs> you know, tough, I'm sure you know what tough I'm on about. a wife. Uh, you need yeah. an exceptionally, I believe that was actually one of your tips was a supportive partner, right? Uh, something to that yeah. effect. I remember. And uh, I mean, 
Yeah, I, I did it. I remember my wife being like, yeah, you coming home this week? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, Violet, um, my wife, she's, we've been together for five and a half years now. And she was basically the first one to, to be able to put up with, with my shit. Um, yeah. So, you know, give her credit. And, and she's stuck with me from the point when I was literally, you know, <laughs> putting on exhibitions and, and just making enough to pay the bills for the next exhibition. Um, so yeah, you gotta yeah. give, you gotta have that supportive partner to real, really, really be able to lift you up through those tough times. Yeah, it's a, it's incredible. So you touched on you, you said we were talking about what kinds of art there are and what you could be, and you said physical, digital, conceptual. You're all of them, right? Is that it's in my mind from looking at your art and seeing at least where it's evolved to, it seems that you've found a way to incorporate basically all of the senses, you know, every aspect. Of, of possibility and that you're sort of pushing the envelope. So how did you go from hanging your paintings in an exhibition to these incredible interactive pieces? Uh, interestingly, it was through music um, because obviously I was interested in music and played in a really shitty bands when I was younger, but uh, I, I was interested in um, my, my degree show in 2008 was basically split between huge red abstract paintings, mostly red and huge blue, uh, blue abstract paintings. And I was investigating the, the response, the physiological response that humans have to color. So that got me interested in how we respond to imagery, imagery in general. My dissertation at the university was um, kind of investigating the, the, the connection between landscape painting um, and the healing process. Um, how we respond to our natural environment. Uh, and then in my first year after, second year after art college, I started looking into synesthesia, which is the mixing of the, the senses. So some musicians can actually see colors while they're playing, you know, the guitar or their music, or, you know, you might be able to, you know, see letters of the alphabet as, as colors. There's all these different types of uh, phenomenon of, of mixing of the senses. So my first exhibition solo show was literally using one song, a contemporary Scottish song, which had about 16 to 18 of them, and listening to that song over and over and over and over in a, on, on my, my, my iPod uh, back in the old days uh, until I created some kind of abstract representation through color and mark making that for me represented that particular song. Interesting. And I did, did that for the whole exhibition. And then the exhibition itself, we had uh, MP3 players at the front desk and people could then listen to each song that was the inspiration for that particular painting. Really it was cool. a bit of a gamble because, you know, somebody might, I thought somebody might really like the painting, but then they listen to the song and they hate hey, the song. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was going to buy that, but, uh, and, but I just, I like the, the, the concept of it. And then my second exhibition, again, the second solo show was uh, looking at a particular classical uh, uh, artist, um, 19th century um, composer. And on the run up to that show, I, that was 2009, 2000, yeah, two, no, sorry, 2011, uh, I started to see QR codes around. I didn't know what they were, so I was like, this is interesting, a box or whatever. So then I started to research QR codes which then immediately, even before the exhibition just started, I was thinking, I wonder if I can paint these. You know, this is a really cool idea where people will then engage with 
a painting in a completely different way than they normally do. And I think that's where, you know, I, I was all, I've always been interested in, maybe because my, my dad was a mechanic, he was a heavy duty mechanic and he liked to fix things and solve problems. And he, he was that kind of a person. And with paintings, it's such a abstract response, how people have some kind of emotional response to this painting, but not that one and something on the other. For, so I was interested, why, why do people respond to paintings? How can I find ways to increase engagement with the painting? Firstly, through music and, you know, headphones to listen to the song, then through QR codes and scanning it to see what's behind that painting, um, and then into augmented reality in 2013. So it's, it's been this constant for the last, whatever, uh, 12, 10 years, kind of balancing act of trying to create paintings that, that are, to me, that I'm, I'm passionate about, that mean something to me, but somehow incorporating technology in a way that can maybe push it to another level or help people engage with or tell the story in a different way, um, completely change the meaning of a painting through the technology that's being used. And then with, when NFTs came along, this NFT marketplace, all of a sudden it opened up an entirely new door for me because I, I could then look at animations, you know, like Picasso's bull, and I could play around with, you know, I had, for my 2018 exhibition, um, it was all augmented reality paintings, script disruption. Each painting was representing some part, some aspect of the crypto space. And then I created, produced short little videos um, that kind of told another story about that painting, the East scan the painting. And then with some of them, I've taken them to another level, creating animations. So really those paintings become three different things. There's a physical painting, there's a, an, a video that produces or creates another storyline, byline behind it. And then there's an animation that adds another element to it. And it, it's just with this, Sorry, go, Sorry ahead. go ahead. I was going to ask, do you produce all those? I was wondering, like, do you actually like you edit video, you produce the video? I mean, you literally do all of it. I do. I was doing all the videos um, and editing them and soundtracks and that kind of thing. But with the animations, I have done the, and that has been quite interesting as well. There was a, that's how the whole uh, Jose Delbo uh, exhibition. Oh my God, that thing, man. It was crazy. So amazing. Crazy. So sick. <laughs> That's the Batman for anyone who uh, hasn't seen yeah. it, but you have to, yeah, man. So I, my first drop, NFT drop was with Money Alata in December of last year. And we did a collaboration and he used one of my paintings, uh, Ethereum Girl with a mandolin, a Picasso inspired painting um, with a big Ethereum logo in it. And he, and he, uh, basically animated it. Um, I gave him some basic ideas of what I'd like to see. And then he created his magic with it. And what I realized at that point is that it was a huge success. 70th, um, you know, I mean, smashed all records. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It was, it was phenomenal, blew my mind. And then I thought, okay, well, what, where do I go from here? I, I can't learn these skills um, that Money Alata has in two months or even a year and I'm a painter and I don't want to compromise my paintings. Well, I, I want to keep on developing my skills as a painter and work on the ideas and the concept behind them. So then that's when I started hiring people to create the animations for me. So I would do all the grunt work in Photoshop. I would take my paintings 
apart and create the layers. And then ah. I would give all that information to somebody else and I'd give them a brief and say, you know, okay, I want this to happen and this happened. And then, and, you know, and they'd send it back and say, okay, fix that, change that. Um, and what it turned into was a really big, once people found out that this is what I did, I didn't hide the information because I actually wrote a, a blog post about it immediately after my second drop, but it wasn't common knowledge. And what happened was that there was this huge discussion debate online on Twitter um, about the fact that I was hiring people to create these animations for me, but I didn't credit them in the process, which... It's always something in this community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, what I did was gave me the, oh, the whole idea with Jose Delvo. And so I contacted him and said, look, I've got a, a really crazy idea. I want to... If it's okay with you, I would like to have one of your artworks and I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do with it. I'm not going to say anything. You're just going to have to trust me and let's see what happens. And he was crazy enough to, to say, yes, okay, let's do this. And what I did was I took, his, he actually gave me two, two, two paintings or two drawings. And with one of them, I, what I did was I just gave it with a brief to an animator and they created the entire animation. I did nothing to it at all. I hired a, a musician to create this, the soundtrack for it. I produced the whole thing in a sense, and right. I put it on there and I paid them, you know, and th there was no, in a sense, creative input, overly creative input from their side. Of things. They just I played what you to told them to play and they did what, yeah. right, of course, you produced yeah. it. Yep. And, uh, and <laughs> I guess it was kind of poking the bear, just stirring it up a little bit. And this is what we dropped. And I wrote, you know, a long article about it saying this is, and I just wanted to generate the conversation, you know, just to kind of stimulate it and see how people responded to it. Um, and it was, again, I, I had no idea it was going to be so successful. I mean, it, in total, it sold over for over $300,000, right? I mean, 200, I, I, know 200, 200, I thought it was 200 something and then 100 yeah. for the original. Yeah, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was, it was crazy. I, I mean, that'll Absolutely shut him up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, I, I love watching you read your DMs. And it's yeah, I mean, there's so much negativity in the world. The only thing in my, I, listen, I used to, I would have probably been triggered by a lot of that stuff in my younger years. At this yeah. point, it's like entertainment and I flip it into something positive. And that's how I view art, everything in life. And kind of, it was a very troublesome for me early in music as well, because as you said, that vulnerability, no matter how tough you act, you want people to like what you put out. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, um, and so it's very hard, but I mean, there's nothing, as you're obviously proving, there's nothing like success to quiet those voices and sort of uh, give you all the confidence you could, mm -hmm. you could ever need. But what, what strikes me here is, I mean, you said you sold that for 70 ETH last year. Most people in the crypto community have just heard the term NFT for the first time in the last three or four months, right? Mm -hmm. We see Ari Paul and Pomp and Jason who I know bought the Picasso's bull and I believe you said just received it today. So. So you're far ahead of the curve and yet again, completely rolling the dice on something new. I mean, you could have taken all your focus and continued to solely paint and, you know, and, but you were willing to kind of trailblaze. I mentioned before that when I, I first heard about NFTs in April of 2019, and at that point I didn't think, I, I thought nothing of them. I thought this isn't for me, you know, it's okay. Something that people are going to be using for games and et cetera, et cetera. And 
and I create physical paintings that are related to cryptocurrency and, and had that the successful show, solo show in 2018. It wasn't until about six months later, I've been kind of keeping an eye on things and seeing some of the people I, I knew that I was following on Twitter start to, to sell work. And we're like, this is really interesting. And that's when I, I started to explore it a bit more. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a, a learning process. And, you know, God, it's just, it moves so fast, so crazy fast. And, and I'm, I'm just an old guy who paints, um, who's not afraid of technology. I don't know what all these guys are talking about. You know, they have different podcasts and I'm like, I don't even know what that means, you know, but I'm interested in the, I guess, more of a holistic approach to the whole space. And that includes the, the psychology of the market and, and the buyers and, and the artists and the, the, Twitter storms of, of bitchiness and, and all these things that kind of drive this whole, <laughs> whole space. Um, and you know, I, I, I just want to do the best I can to keep at, you know, as, 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 uh, you know, as much as in the leads I can, that didn't came up the wrong way, but to kind of be on at a point where I, I know what's going on and what I see potentially happening happening in a very short amount of time is, is that the floodgates are going to open up and there's yeah, going to be I, a massive influx of ridiculously talented, big name artists with huge profiles, um, traditional artists as well, who are, who are pushed and pumped by like the big international commercial galleries or the Christie's and Sotheby's, you know, auction houses and, and the billionaires and the, you know, the people who are buying the Picasso paintings and the, the dallies and, and I, so I'm always thinking like, how can I navigate through this? And when this happens, that it, I don't get crushed by it. And so that's, you know, I think that's an important thing for all the artists in the space right now to look at. Um, and, you know, I always kind of go with, you know, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst because oh, I'm we, a have no, <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, don't get too comfortable and that's why I don't ever want to get too comfortable. Um, interestingly though, actually, um, two things there, uh, I was talking to, I got an email from, um, somebody about maybe two weeks ago asking me, say, you know, he's got, he's got this drop happening on Nifty Gateway and, you know, he's really nice. And, you know, it's like, I'm, I'd like to chat to you about these things. And that was literally the day of the, the Batman drop. And I was, it was just ridiculously crazy. And I was getting inundated with emails and everybody wanting something. And, and so I just politely said like, you know, good luck with the drop. And, you know, I can't really help you out. I'm a bit too busy. And, uh, and then yesterday I was watching a, a podcast with Coley and he was interviewing this guy called Mike Winkleman. And I'm like, oh, name sounds familiar. And then uh, listen and talk some more. And there's, uh, I think was, her name's Lady Phoenix. And there's the three of them having these conversations. He was hilarious. He swore like a sailor. Um, <laughs> he was absolutely hilariously engaging. Uh, and, and then I'm sorry. And they talk about Beeple. That's his name. And I'm like, I'm going to check out who this guy is. So I'm like, you know, checking out. So we go to his Twitter. It's like, shit, he's got like 175,000 followers. And check his Instagram. He's got like 2 million. I don't know. And, and I was like, holy crap, he actually follows me. All of a sudden, I scroll down. I see the video that he's dropping on NFT and uh, on Nifty Gateway, and it's he's the guy. Represents, he's the guy, and I 
completely, you know, gave him the cold shoulder. <laughs> it's just like, that oh, happens God. to me all the time, actually, just because like the sheer volume, as you said, of like messages that you get, I've definitely, I mean, I can't, I, I sometimes joke with people how much money is just like in my, uh, being left on the table, probably in my DMs <laughs> and stuff. But I mean, there's just yeah. incredible people reach out to you and you don't have the time to like, to do diligence on a hundred people a day. So you just yeah, kind of miss yeah. those things, but it is an interesting, <laughs> it does uh, speak to something I definitely believe, which is that like every relationship is important and never, never make an assumption when you, you know, we receive a message for someone and always, you know, have an open mind because I mean, what a opportunity for you. If now maybe you'll, you guys will do something. It'll sell for a million dollars. Who knows? Yeah. And I actually emailed him today and said like, dude, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, um, I finally, actually, I actually, um, <laughs> gave the cold shoulder by accident to Tyler Winklevoss too in <laughs> December, uh, right after the ETH girl drop. And he messaged me on Instagram. It's like, I don't even use Instagram. You know, I, I'm just really bad for that. So I saw like this message three weeks later, all these other messages. And it's usually people trying to sell me Bitcoin or something. It's like Tyler Winklevoss. Oh, that's just a fake account. I click on it. It was actually him. And I'm, I was like three weeks after that. So sorry, Tyler. Um, but yeah, you just you have no idea. And there's just so many forms of communication these days. But another thing that I, I talked to Mike um, Beeple about uh, today when I messaged him back and said, I think it's, it's important that what had really happened at that point when he messaged me and uh, and I just, you know, politely declined um, <laughs> to talk to him. Is that I was just so overwhelmed with all the stuff that was happening, and you know, from the Picasso's bull drop in July, uh, just taking on more projects and and constant emails and and you know, so many lovely people saying like, you know, love your work, brilliant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it got to the point where about two weeks ago, I was really starting to feel depressed and low and. And that's the point when my wife said to me, it's like, you know, Trev, you need to take a, a bit of a break here because you, it, I, all I do, it's like from the moment I wake up to the time I go to bed, thinking, constantly obsessed with what's going on, what's happening on my phone. And I wasn't even enjoying anything of all the amazing things that were happening. So, uh, so yeah, I've been learning how to say no uh, the last while and just say, like, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't take anything more on. I need to push something back and, and spend more time with my wife and go for walks and stuff like that because yeah. it's very easy to s- slip down that, that, that slippery slope. And next thing you know, um, you just get knocked for, you know, and yeah. you have no idea what's happening to you. Roundthex.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is take all your small purchases and round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that spare change into any of over 30 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can view various exchange balances all in one dashboard and round up into different assets all at the same time, and they do all this without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Go to roundlyx.com and use the promo code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin after making your first roundup or purchase. That's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com and code WOLF for $4 in free Bitcoin. Diginex is making huge moves and is soon to be the first crypto exchange listed on the NASDAQ. This means that people will finally be able to invest on a platform they're comfortable with without being directly exposed to Bitcoin. Absolutely massive for mainstream adoption. 
Diginex has basically everything investors need under a single roof, including an institutional-grade exchange called Equus. Equus allows institutional and retail investors alike access to an exchange that's on par with platforms they've come to trust in other markets. This means they are compliant with regulation, transparent and fair with regards to fees and orders, secure and far ahead of the curve in regards to innovation. Go to equus.com slash wolf to get 5% off trading fees. That's E-Q-U-O-S dot com slash W-O-L-F to get 5% off of your trading fees. Sign up now. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard about the DeFi craze in crypto. By far the safest and simplest way to passively earn in the space is to hold your coins on Celsius. You can earn your rewards in the same crypto you're holding, or you can earn even more in their sell token. Right now, I choose to earn 5% on Ethereum in Ethereum and 15% on my stable coins in sell token. It's a little bit better than the sub 1% interest rates you can earn in a legacy bank account. Celsius was founded with the belief that crypto is the opportunity to really shake up the financial system. They're changing the standards for all financial services. They share 80% of their revenue in the form of weekly reward payments. That's how their users are earning up to 15% APY with compounding rewards. They also commit to providing the lowest cost loans on the market. Their loans start at just 1% APR. For just 1% interest, you can borrow cash against your crypto and avoid selling, which also eliminates the taxable event. It's absolutely huge. High rewards on your holdings and low interest on loans on a platform whose mission you can believe in. Celsius is giving $20 to every new user that joins with promo code WOLF. Just enter the code in the app during registration. $20 is awarded after 30 days of maintaining a wallet balance of $200 or more. Visit celsius.network, that's C-E-L-S-I-U-S dot network, and use promo code WOLF, W-O-L-F. Stop and smell the roses. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I, I can definitely, um, I, I, I've felt that before, you know, where like I've had some of the most successful times in my life, but I was too busy to enjoy the, the success. And then it was gone by the time I uh, even uh, became a uh, fond memory as opposed to a great experience and definitely yeah. don't want to live life like that. But I'm really curious about, and I think the people here will be really interested to find out, I mean, why crypto art? Why Bitcoin? When did you find Bitcoin? And I mean, deciding to do a 2018 show solely based on crypto seems kind of left field. <laughs> um, I had a show in 2016. It was, uh, and it, that completely changed the way I looked at things. And that was my, my political portrait. So I painted uh, Trump and Hillary and Boris Johnson and, you know, David Cameron and, you know, these kind of world leaders made out of garbage I'd found on the street and, and oil paint. <laughs> uh, and they're all augmented. I produced short little video clips of these politicians talking a lot of rubbish. Uh, and what that was about was, uh, you know, I'd been working with technology QR codes from 2011 and then augmented reality from 2012-13. And nobody in this quite conservative Scottish art uh, market were interested in from the gallery perspective they weren't interested in art with the tech spin to it so that show there with the politicians it wasn't i really didn't think i would sell anything i was 10 big portraits of politicians that nobody liked and it was simply at that kind of hail mary throw to get some eyes on my work with the technology and say nobody's doing this um and what happened, funnily enough, is on the opening night, one collector, somebody came in and bought all 10 paintings. Oh, my gosh. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, this, is, this was the, 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 
best case scenario. I, it never even crossed my mind that I'd sell any of them um, because it wasn't even about that. It was about getting some media attention and a bit of publicity and people going like, okay, what's, this is an interesting way to create paintings with augmented reality and video. So what that did was it for the first time gave me some financial stability as an artist, which rarely happens. Uh, and then from that point, uh, the next year, 2017, um, it gave me a lot of confidence in the fact that I didn't need to go through commercial galleries anymore to, to sell work. Um, I could actually paint things that were really important to me, um, maybe a bit edgy, uh, maybe, you know, whatever that, that, and there, there would be somebody out there who would be interested in them. Uh, it was at the same time because I had some extra money in the bank that I started to look at different types of investments. And that led me to Bitcoin. So I bought my first, um, you know, I got a Coinbase account. I was like trying to figure out all my way around this. Bought some Ethereum, some Bitcoin in, I think, June of 2017. Well and for the next six months, just, yeah, went absolutely crazy. Um, found out I was a really, really bad trader uh, and a much better painter. And so I thought, okay, I need to put the trading aside and focus on my painting. But what I've discovered over the last six months is that this is this crazy, ridiculous, chaotic, toxic world filled with personalities and ideas that I could capture in, in paint. Uh, but then I had no idea if there was going to be a market for it. You know, so again, that was just another giant risk that I would spend all of 2018 working towards an exhibition, hire a gallery space, put it on myself because no gallery would take my, this work, and then hope that people would buy it, knowing full well that there would be probably nobody in, in my city of Edinburgh that I would have to find overseas buyers. And it worked out. You know, it was just a, a huge, huge gamble, um, calculated risk, and I ended up selling almost everything in that exhibition, um, which then gave me the confidence to continue down this path and explore more and, and make more contacts and, and try new things and get into NFTs. So... I guess the, the, the moral of the story is take risks um, and and hope for, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, see what happens. I mean, what would you say to, okay, I guess there's two, two parts. Start with someone who's an artist and wants to get into NFTs. You know, what are the first steps? What do they need to understand? I know, obviously, and we will point people towards your already existing list of nearly 100 tips, but very brass tacks, like... I'm an artist. I've got talent. I want to monetize that. I have a vision. Now what? <laughs> That's a million dollar question. I mean, my Twitter followers you, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you, first off, you need. I think what's holding back a lot of people right now, and you know, I've known so many traditional artists here who are so talented who will never get into the space because just, there's just so many barriers of the technology. How, what's a digital wallet? You know, how do I have, what, what's Bitcoin, you know, and there's a fear of, you know, even wanting to know what is like, there's that, you know, phobia of, of technology. But I guess, you know, first thing is like, just get into grips with technology, get a wallet, set up an account. Um, you know, you can, there's various platforms like Super Air, No One Origin, Maker's Place, um, Nifty Gateway, there are more curated, but there's other ones like OpenSea or Rarible where you don't actually have to yeah, you um, throw it up there and just put it up yeah. there and see what happens. Um, and I guess, and that's where the big debates come in, has this constant debate of scarcity versus abundance. 
um, and I'm kind of in team scarcity and there's others who are team abundance and there's always battles going back and forth about which is the best route to take. Again, from, from my experience, it's, you know, I've kind of proven that scarcity is the way to go. You're a painter. Yeah. I'm not going to paint 10 paintings. I mean, you, you, you paint one painting and you send it into the world and. Yeah. 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 So by, just by the nature of the work that I do, um, the fact that, you know, if I am creating an NFT out of it, I need to hire somebody that, that can take weeks of going back and forth to finally get the piece that I want. So it's a very slow process. Um, but you know, if, if you, I think if you're just starting out, that's where the debate is. Do you just put everything out there for, for everybody, um, you know, and mint everything, or do you only put out the absolute best of the best? And I'm of the opinion that you only put out your best work. And that may be because I've come from the traditional art background where you work all year long and you have loads of crap and you curate your best pieces and you have them in, in a show and you present, present them as in the best way possible and, and everything leads up and there's a lot of pressure. Um, but then, you know, there's others who people say, just throw everything out and, and get as much visibility as so many, as many eyes on your work as possible. But then I think, well, what, why, why would somebody want to invest in you if you're, if you're just putting out everything, you know, it'd be like me having an exhibition, a gallery exhibition and putting up unfinished paintings and things that aren't framed properly. And, you know, a couple sketches on the wall with thumbtack in and, and putting a price on it. I think it's, for me, it's that maybe coming from that working class background of, you know, really taking absolute pride in your work. Uh, and I would not want to sell anything that I didn't think was the best of my best because I'd feel like I'm ripping off somebody. And also, I mean, arguably the most valuable aspect of an NFT is the proven scarcity, right? That you can put one out. It cannot be duplicated. It can't be forged. It can't be faked. It's guaranteed to be one of one or even one of three or one of five, but you know it. The buyer knows it a hundred percent. There's no question, which does not exist in the art world. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, there, I've done nothing against editions. You look at Picasso's bull on the gateway, that drop was phenomenal. And there were editions, you know, I, I did a Cubist uh, Picasso, um, um, or, sorry, Cubist Satoshi edition of 21 on open sea. Uh, there are artists out there who do, you know, who are quite prolific. Um, you know, for example, like Hakatau, you know, who, who, but their work is very, very professional, very slick. They've got, you know, decades of experience behind them. They've built up their brand. They've built up everything. And so, you know, with, there's always exceptions to the rule. You know, I, I can't say this is the one way to be successful as an artist because that's going to be wrong. You know, everybody has a, a path to get to, to where they want to be. Um, but it's, you know, I guess the only offer of advice that I've got is that it's, it's most likely going to be a very slow path, you know, and, and I, I'm thinking, you know, for me, when I graduated at 38, I wasn't thinking I want to be rich and famous at all, because if you come into being an artist, you know, and thinking you're going to be rich and famous, you're going to be really, really sadly mistaken. Um, I was thinking, how can I actually make a living as an artist? And what are the steps that I have to take to, to get to the next stage and the next stage? And, and I was literally thinking decades, you know, I want to peak at 
65, 70 years old and then live off my, you know, my golden years. And, and, and that's it. It was never thinking about, you know, what, what's happening right now to me is beyond my wildest dreams. I never, ever thought this would have happened. I think what you just described is probably the reason that you're successful though, because I think that most people, especially in the NFT and crypto art space are very young and the nature of people who are very young, myself included at that time was, I mean, when I was in college, I thought I was a failure when I wasn't a millionaire when I graduated college, right? I thought yeah, like, yeah. what's wrong with me? I, I should have already done this. And that impatience, and it's the same with investing in Bitcoin and trading, right? Like you, as yeah. you said, you were a terrible trader, but if you just hold your Bitcoin for 20 years, it'll probably be totally fine. It's the same sort yeah. of mentality. But I would say that you probably had learned so many lessons in life by the time you were 38 and knew that what, what it took to survive and therefore were able to be successful. So those aren't lessons you can probably pass on to a 22 year old that they aren't going to learn on their own. Right. I mean, it's just life. Yeah. Somebody had tweeted that actually a few days ago, something like, you know, what, what kind of motivation do you need as an artist to, to continue to create? And I responded, it's like, it really depends on so many different things, but what motivates a 22 year old artist and what motivates a 50 year old artist are very, very, very different things. So I guess that's the, again, the problem with Twitter is that somebody throws something out there and it just riles context. everybody up because yeah. yeah, yeah. It's hard to, hard to understand the, the context there. It's funny. I mean, my artistic journey was ending at the time that yours was beginning in my life, you know, like I had kid, my daughter, I guess I was about 36 or 37 and I wound down my music career because I wanted to be home and, and parent. And that's what got me into crypto. But I think that I've been successful here because I did it when I was in my late thirties and not uh, when I was in my early twenties. So it's funny. I was ending my artistic Jersey, but I think very similar sort of situation in my passion for the thing that I took on, you know, do you see yourself going back, you know, like, you know, you're doing well. Do you think, you know, man, you know, maybe in five years or something. As a hobbyist, I think that I will like re refine the passion that I had for it because it was everything to me. And it was, it was interesting when you were talking about your art earlier and doing it to music, it Mm -hmm. was sort of, uh, making me think about the way that I have, uh, collected memories in my life and they're always associated with music. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. unique to me or other people, but if you ask me like, you know, what was that trip like in 1992? The first thing that comes to mind is the song I was listening to on the airplane or that I heard at the club or something. And that formulates the memory. So music I think is deeply ingrained in me. And I, so I, I'm sure that I will come back to it, uh, in some manner, but I would never, I mean, you're, you've got balls, man. I would never want to depend on it at this point and at this age. And music's a little different. I mean, you can age out of music. And I think as an artist, it's more like fine wine. <laughs> you know, you, you can it, do it art help. when you're 70. You can't DJ yeah. when you're 70. Yeah. I mean, Violet and I, we don't have children. So that's, you know, I mean, that's a, a big, big, big thing. Because if we did. You can be selfish. I, I, yeah, it, it'd be very, very selfish. And I don't know if I would. You know, I, who knows? You know, it's it, it's obviously life changing. So you you will look at things very, very differently as soon as you have a child. And the fact that we don't, um, we didn't have that responsibility to think about. So we don't right. have expensive tastes. You know, we like to travel, and that's you know, an Airbnb and and budget places, and that's you know, we mm-hmm. don't really have. So it's, it was never about money for us. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting the choices that we make in life and and the paths we lead. 
So the flip side, there's a lot of ways that people can get into it. They can obviously choose to go the scarce route. They can choose to put everything out into the internet, but basically you just got to go and, and try something, right? But the flip side, I think, is probably the more interesting side to some degree, which is the space is exploding. As you said, we're seeing it explode. Uh, likely a ton of more money is going to come in. How does someone who wants to uh, participate but who's not an artist, start to invest in this space? How do you make a sound investment? How do you know what's good and worthwhile or what's <laughs> complete garbage? And, and you know, what do you think the future looks like? I, I mean, there's people who are trading these like they're trading altcoins, right? They're literally buying yeah, yeah. them and putting them for sale the next day. It's like eBaying Jordans or something. Yeah. So there's yeah. this whole other market that's like degenerate traders who have just found yeah, another yeah, thing. Yeah. And it's it's all part of the the ecosystem, and 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 I can say one thing, and I guarantee you, there's going to be people who completely, you know, attack me and say, you know, that's that's crazy, you know, that's not that's not the way to do it. It depends on what your I think your your strategy is. If if you're flipping, I don't think you know I don't have a problem with with buyers flipping my work because you know, but I also like the fact that I've got other buyers who are holding it. You know, um, I've got pieces that you know somebody bought for you know maybe two or three thousand pounds six months ago and they've been offered 30 or 40 or 50 thousand for it recently and they've declined and i think like you're crazy i could take that money man but uh and they, they don't so for me i like the fact that i've got collectors who are hodling my work and others who are flipping it because that generates the excitement um i think there's space for for everybody uh i think with regards to Again, there's two different ways. I think from a collector's perspective, you know, you can you can hit that that altcoin that just skyrockets and and nobody knows about it, um, and you get lucky. You can see some. You can buy the first piece that's been dropped by some artist, you know, that nobody knows about, and you know, like Furious or you know, or you know, some of these you know younger artists are coming up who are exceptionally talented, and they've got like a lot of energy and, and a lot of skill and talent, and 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 now they're getting a lot of backing, like Jason and Pomp coming through so um you can take a chance or you can buy bitcoin you can invest in artists who you know like myself or you know like hackatow or pack or you know some newer ones coming on who who have li literally you know 10 15 20 years of experience and the academic background and and you know that you know that it's a sound investment hopefully because you know we're in this for the long term we didn't just kind of come into the space um, as hobbyists and all of a sudden we're making a bunch of money and say, okay, now I'm interested in learning more and becoming a better artist. Like this has been a lifelong, you know, pursuit. So from the kind of the view of a collector now, I, I'd say probably if you can diversify, you know, try to buy some work by some of the bigger name artists. Um, but at the same time, you want to keep this whole, economy going as well and and investing in new artists and and up-and-coming artists and some of the bigger name artists who are coming in like people you know um it's it, it takes a, a huge massive kind of movement to keep the whole thing growing and at the pace it's growing right now it's just gonna take more and more and more people so i don't say, suggest it's just kind of one way try you know invest just spend as much money as on nfts as you possibly can that's my that's my advice yeah <laughs> Only spend what you can afford to lose, right? The yes. same disclaimer that we get with every. So I love that analogy. So you and a couple other guys are Bitcoin.
and everyone else is a riskier <laughs> investment in an off point. Oh, but that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you, but I mean, unless the market implodes, your work will appreciate. I mean, it's at that point where we're seeing that, that that's almost a foregone conclusion. So it's a proven, a proven asset. And I never thought about what you just said, which is like, probably like uh, emotionally, you want people to hold your art, right? You want somebody to buy it and want to keep it forever, no matter what. But from a business perspective, it's the secondary market and that FOMO that's going to actually raise the prices of your future pieces. Absolutely. Yeah. You need, you need both. Definitely. And I love the fact that I do have, I know a, a couple buyers, big, big, big whales who literally are going, they just, they, they love the work and they're, they're long-term investors. And you know, some, and one guy saying like, I just, I want this, I'll give it to, you know, I'll hand it down to my, my, my sons, you know, when I'm not here. So, um, that's, it's, it's again, mind boggling to even be talking to somebody who's buying my work in that way and, 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 and thinking about my work in that way, that this is like a, a generational investment. It's, it's crazy. It's awesome. How, yeah. so how do you suggest that somebody displays your work in an ideal manner? I buy an NFT by putting it on my TV? Do I need to buy a specific projector? Am I projecting an MP4 version of it for people to look at? Or am I actually, is it the actual NFT that's being projected on my wall? Tell me how that works. I think that's a huge question mark for people who want to not just buy them, but actually display them. I think that's something that I didn't even know when I first got into the space is that when you're buying an NFT, you're, you're buying a, a token. So it's not really the the artwork, the image is the image. Um, and I didn't understand, I didn't know what that was. I thought, okay, I've been uploaded an image to, you know, super air or whatever, open C. And so when somebody buys that, they're actually buying that image, but they're literally buying a, a token, the, the abstract representation of ownership of that digital thing. Um, and so once I got my head around that, I thought, okay, now this, I understand this. So with, I guess displaying it again, it's what it is, is you're displaying a digital image that is represented by a token that you own the token. So how you choose to display it is entirely up to you, whether you, you want to put it on your flat screen TV or your mural, um, which is uh, basically a, another digital screen to, to showcase your, your NFTs on um, your phone, uh, buy one of my prints, although I've taken the print side down for the time being just because I'm so busy. But then, you know, you have, if you have the physical representation of one of my paintings through a print or the painting itself, then you can also, you can scan it and you get the access to the augmented reality elements of it. Um, I, meta, the metaverse, you know, so there's places like Somnium Space or CryptoVoxels or Decentraland, which is all really, really, really super cool. Where you can mind. actually walk into, yeah, and, and just see the work, whether it's on your phone, like CryptoVoxels, or on your your desktop, or if you have got some, you know, VR goggles, and you can literally go in and see things, you know, like seeing my Picasso's wall painting, which is the size of a building. It's it's crazy. Um, I think that's probably right now the best way to, besides seeing the physical painting of mine, if you can see it in in the metaverse, you know, in Somnium Space, uh, a Museum of Crypto Arts were the ones who bought the one of one Picasso's bowl. Um, they got a few other my pieces as well. They've got them in this spectacularly stunning. They just actually uploaded a, 
a, a video to kind of showcasing some of their, their work in these gallery spaces that they've got in the space. And it just blows my mind. It's like, I, I have no idea what's going to be happening in five years from now when how, things are progressed. How much, so did they buy, how much did they buy that NFT for? If you don't mind me asking. That was $55,555. So effective, and that's about what you sold the physical painting for as well, yeah. correct? 58, yeah. 57. Yeah. So that's it. For this. So being an actual painter and artist, you effectively get to double dip on your artwork, which is an incredible, uh, <laughs> incredible thing. So that's really an interesting way to view NFTs uh, for people who may not understand them as being a non-fungible token. It's almost like you're, you're, it's not the painting you're buying, it's the provenance or the proof of ownership that is actually being transferred to you. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I think that's what a lot of people right now struggle to get their heads around. They think, well, why can't I just right-click save that JPEG image or that animation? And I, I own that, but you don't own that. You know, you, you, you have that, and you can check it out on your screen, but the person who owns the token that represents, like I said, it's an abstract understanding of, of ownership. And that's going to, you know, the, the, how this is going to play out NFTs over the next two, three, four, eight years, it'll get to the point when it's just everybody knows what that means. And there's yeah. not going to be a discussion about it anymore. I, curious as an artist, what do you think it is about scarcity, the feeling of owning the only one of something? Why do people care about the rare shoes or the rare art or, or whatever it is? What... Why do you, what is deeply baked inside humans that make that of such value? Probably two things. I think there's just the, the personal satisfaction of, of, you know, this is, you know, it's like um, Gollum, you know, and, and my precious type thing. Yeah. This is that kind of attitude. Uh, mm -hmm. But then also the other side, the flip side is the, the status, you know, it's that, that ego driven, of, you know, I, I own this and, and everybody knows I own it. You know, they can see it on the blockchain. There's, you know, you go to super air and you can see this piece is owned by this particular buyer. Um, so yeah, I think it's two things. It's, it's, and everybody's different. Some people might literally be collecting, it's like they collect stamps, you know, it's like, it's not this, the, the coolest thing in the world collecting stamps, but it's something that they do because they just genuinely love doing it. Um, it's about the whole concept and, and the history and, and these kind of things. And then there's other people who collect things, you know, high end paintings or, you know, that, that really is, is partly about investment, but a lot of it's about ego and, and status. It's like when, you know, you go to a commercial gallery and you, you buy a, a painting for, let's say, I don't know, here in Scotland, you know, by a, a well-known artist that, it's going to be like eight, nine, 10,000 pounds. You know, why buy that painting when you get a, a print of it most likely, or you could go to Ikea and get a, just a random print for, you know, why, why that painting by that artist? Right. Because, because it means something. It, it has, you know, that, that artist is, has a name in Scotland. They, you know, they're, they're well known. The people in the circles you hang out with. They're impressed. You know, they will impress. They walk in and they go like, oh, that's, you know, I know that, you know, that artist or, or that kind of thing. And it's funny because I've had this conversation many times before with back home where I grew up. It's, it's very small town working class. 
and there's still a lot of money, you know, in the, not, not, you know, whether it's the village or the, the city that uh, I kind of lived in for a little while. And I've got friends who've got, you know, the business owners, they've got a ton of money, really, really successful businessmen. Um, one of my best friends, he's got, you know, he's got all the toys, you know, the beautiful cars, just bought a Jag, you know, he's got the trucks and the snowmobiles and the, the speed boats and the giant house and, and the art that he has is just disgusting. It's like, you know, well, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, money doesn't give taste, right? I mean, yeah. And, but I understand, you know, my argument, my kind of the way I described that, or I, I got my, my head around it was that it's, it's very much here in, in, in the UK and in, in Europe, it's much more common practice to buy really nice artwork and, and put it up as that stage kind of thing. Whereas, you know, where I grew up, you're having a nice big truck, you know, and you can lift up that hood and you can explain, you, know, you can talk about the, the, the engine to all your friends and, and, and you, you know, over the barbecue. And that's very much a status thing. You know, that's where the status comes from. Whereas if my buddy just spent 20 grand on a painting and put it up on his wall and his friends come in and he was like, you know, check out this painting by so-and-so I spent 20 grand on it. He'd just get the, you know, ripped to pieces. Like what, why would you spend 20 grand on a fucking painting? Right. You know, so there's that, that status, that understanding of status and, and why you collect things, whether it's a expensive truck or an expensive painting. Is it a one-to-one or, or not? So then I guess it begs the other question, uh, as an artist, what is it like to let that one go? I'm just getting to the point now in my career, so what, 12 years since I graduated, when I'm I'm, I'm feeling like, oh man, I just, I wish I didn't sell that, you know, and there's, and every single exhibition that I've had, you know, and usually it's been every, every year I've had a solo show since I graduated. There's always been two or three paintings that really, really were special for me. But the fact that I was an artist and somebody was going to buy it and I was going to get money for it, you know, it is what it is. And you have to emotionally detach yourself from these particular works um, but I'm getting to the point now where I, I have regrets, you know, I've, I'm, I shouldn't have gotten rid of that painting, but I had to. So I guess, it, you know, I'm in that position now where finally financially I can keep some of my works. And I think that's important as well to, to be able to hold on, you know, who knows what's going to happen down the line. If I'll have like a retrospective exhibition, when I'm 60 and it's a lot easier to put works together that I own rather than trying to find out where they are around the world. Um, I like the fact that people own my work, you know, um, but there's definitely some that I wish they didn't get away. So maybe there comes a point where you just paint for yourself. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, mean, I, I do like, but I, I like painting for people as well. Like I said, I mean, I just had, uh, I had these Picasso bowl prints, 21 limited edition, 21 that went out and they sold very quickly. And now I'm starting to get all these pictures, you know, DMS and, and videos, of them being framed and put in that, you know, these houses all around the world. And that's just an incredible feeling, you know, and some really nice houses too. It's like, Oh, that's, that's quite a spectacular place. And that's a feeling that, you know, if I only painted for myself, I would never have that feeling. So I, you know, I like, I like the fact that my work is being appreciated by people all around the world who I've never even met before. So what's, what's next? obviously, I mean, it seems that we're in the infancy of this space and probably what you're doing here, but what, what, what are we going to see from you in the next couple of years? 
Oof, next year, couple of years. Um, I know. I should probably ask next couple of weeks or months because <laughs> yeah, I know how it is in this that. space. Next year's is like fifty years in the normal yeah, world, yeah. but yeah. Um, I've got a a big project planned for next year, and again, like I said, because I, I just was completely overwhelmed and feeling overwhelmed. I've had to adjust things and, and push some things back. I've got a, a collaboration with PAC, uh, which I'm really excited about. That was supposed to happen in November but I had to push that back to sometime early next year just to give myself a bit of breathing space. Um, the the um, project that I've got happening next year is a 12 artist collaboration uh, and it's going to be on Nifty Gateway. We're going to have most likely it's going to look, it was going to be like one drop every month, but that was just going to take up so much. My entire year would just be yeah, the whole year. Yeah. So we'll probably have three drops with four different artists. Uh, very, very cool idea behind it. Um, I'm, I can't list all the, I'm not going to list all the artists, but some, some really big name artists in the, in the space. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's also going to be um, a fundraising project as well. So 10% of all the sales off the top is going to go to a, a fund that is going to be distributed to other artists in the space. Um, you know, for people who apply for it for kind of grants type thing. And, and there'll be themes and ideas that, that people are able to, to apply for this if they, you know, as part of it's about collaboration, um, you know, diversity, um, you know, hope, future, innovation, different things. So I guess what that, that the concept behind that was about, there's this, this toxicity in this, in this space and a lot of it's on Twitter and it's a lot, it's, it's, it's really, um, overwhelming at times i wanted to try to bring something together that hopefully doesn't get ripped to pieces that hopefully generates some 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 good feelings and some positivity uh and helps other artists in the space um gives back to the the community and you know we'll see so that's that's as far as i've got 2021 is sorted out and who knows what 2022 is going to bring crazy Fair enough with, that's with, fine yeah, I tweeted the the Batman, and even in my limited experience there, it was like polarized, crazy comments about eh, NFTs are trash. This isn't even art. Someone should have flushed their money down the toilet to people who are like, I would have paid twenty million dollars for this. It's crazy <laughs> how like opposing the the views. And I'm the latter. Like if I had like I just I had the thing blew my mind. I get it, you know. And so yeah, yeah. I, I I can definitely sympathize with. The, the, the pain that you feel from, from the community uh, in trying to, you know, put yourself out there in this world. So I, I commend you for that. And so where, where can everybody find you and, and keep up with you after this? Uh, Twitter is obviously the best place. That's kind of where um, I go to. Uh, Instagram, I don't. Uh, Tyler Winklevoss found that out, that I don't check my Instagram <laughs> at all. Uh, I've just um, started up. Uh, my e-newsletter again, which I'll awesome. be using more often. So you can go to my website, go to my contact and subscribe to my e-newsletter. And that will be a place, especially for buyers, collectors who are, and, and, and artists, if you want to find out more about what I'm doing, that that'll be my kind of first update of different projects, different drops. Um, maybe if I'm going to open up my prints back up again, or, you know, NFTs, or I'm working on a new painting, that information will come out there first, and then it'll siphon through to Twitter later on. Awesome. I guess my last question has to be, do you do commissions and have you ever painted a wolf? 
I actually have. Oh no, I think I threw it out. I actually of course had you a, did. Come on, man. I had a painting of a wolf. Um, I did it in college, and actually, it was a really good painting. But I varnished it with shitty varnish, and it turned yellow. And it was like, you know, I just saw it actually about maybe a month ago. I took it out of storage. Like, what happened to that? I would have given it to you. I would have given Damn. it to you. I should have um, called you earlier. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I really appreciate it. I think it gives a lot of clarity to people in a space that just seems very confusing from the outside. I think that just people don't, don't time. get it. It takes like 10 times yeah. before you kind of clicks. Right. So I, I really hope it. that I didn't confuse your listeners even more because like I said, I'm just yeah. some old guy who paints and, and I'm trying to find my way around this space and, and not to offend too many people along the way, but um, it's definitely a, a crazy ride. And I really appreciate you inviting me on and, and listening to my so ramble excited. on and, Cool. Hey, I'm just an old guy who listens to old painters, right? So that's all <laughs> I am too. So I'm right there with you. But thank you very much. And uh, we'll have to follow up very soon. Thanks very much, Scott. Appreciate it. Let's